Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker and uh, Micah Richards. Um, But at the moment, we're missing our number nine, Alan Shearer. And that's because we're recording this immediately after the games on Sunday. And uh, Alan was at the Sheffield United versus Newcastle match and um, is currently finishing off his celebrations, I would imagine. (laughs) Not a bad... (laughs) He should be in a good mood because we're hoping uh, to get him to join us a little later on when he's on his way home uh, to get his immediate reactions from that game and the weekend in general. But... um, We'll start without him. Micah, you've not been very well. I've not been very well, Gary. Over the last couple of days, I've... um... But it shows you my commitment. I'm here. Where is Alan? Alan's at the game getting pissed up. Ridiculous. Well, you couldn't do that because it's it's COVID. It's COVID, it? yeah. I thought I'd got rid of it. I've, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so last year, but this year it's crept back. I had COVID, <laughs> and obviously I was I was I was around you, wasn't I, Gary? You were Thursday and Friday, so um, I'm, I'm okay at the moment. Um, Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, at the moment. You keep twitching, Gary. Are you sure? I'm at, well, that, that's because I'm nervous in your, in your presence. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the threat of COVID. Um, I did see a little thing. Um, Danny Mills came back at you, didn't oh. he? I mean, for those that perhaps didn't hear the episode where you talked about Danny Mills, um, he was a bit unkind to you when you were playing, but uh, he's come back at you. No, I, I've got to give it to, to Danny Mills. And the senior pros back then were always a little bit harsh to the, to the, to the ones coming through. Especially in their position. Of course. And I was a confident lad. And he said some things. I don't want to bring it back up. But he's been man enough to say he's sorry. And if he offended me, he apologizes. So it's done now. It's all behind us. Fair play to Danny Mills was man enough to do that. Excellent stuff. Uh, let's start talking about um, the football. It's been a, a fascinating weekend. Lots of amazing games, particularly today. I thought the North London derby was um, e- excellent, wasn't it? Really end-to-end, both teams going for it. I was really impressed with Spurs, I have to say, because this was their, you know, they've had a good start to the season. They've been scoring goals, playing lots of attacking football, and you thought it's going to be difficult to do that at the Emirates. Um, but they gave as good as they got, I thought. Well, you had a, a very good um, interview with uh, Ange 
Foster Coglu. Mm. And I was listening to what he was saying because when you get an interview with a manager, they always just say things that like they expect us or what we want to hear or what mm. we, we expect them to say, where he was just saying he, the truth and what he was feeling. And it just makes me warm to him a little bit more. So he wants to play attacking football. And he asked him a question before the game. Uh, is it a free hit? It was like, no, it's not a free hit. We, we, want, we want to win this game. And we've put the pressure on ourselves because we've started something good and we want to carry on that. And I just think it all stems from the manager. I think he's fantastic. The football that they play, because it was on the ropes, early doors, Arsenal came out for the mm. first 25, 30 minutes. They, they couldn't really get the ball back off from Spurs, but they was calm in what they was doing. They went behind, they come back. They went behind, they come back. And this is the Spurs, especially you, Gary. You must be happy with this Spurs now. No, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I think most fans of, of Tottenham would um, would absolutely concur in the sense that they've got their style of playback. I mean, I know there's a lot of things said about clubs have a certain way of playing and this sort of thing. When mostly, if you're winning, um, they'll, fans will forgive most things. Um, but there is this sense that, um, and I think even Levy said it, didn't he? There was a fans forum in in midweek where. Levy came out and said he made a mistake in appointing Mourinho and Conte. He said they're excellent coaches, but the wrong fit for Tottenham. Now, Ange Postacoglu was, is, is very well known for obviously his offensive, attacking, aggressive style of football. And, um, and obviously it helps when you win a few games, you get a great start to the season. But I think Tottenham fans, they feel happy again. It's, you know, it's, it's what they want to see. James Madison, mm. wow. He just continues to do it. And the thing is I liked about, about his game is when there was doing the build-up Spurs and it went really, really deep and Jesus was on his shoulder and Jesus robbed mm. the ball off him and he could have made it 2-0, but he didn't panic. He said, okay, I've made a mistake. Let's go into the game. And he goes and gets a couple of us. It's just amazing. And Arsenal as well. We've got to give credit to Arsenal. Oh, they played some great stuff as well. Just it was playing a cracking some game. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. I'm not too sure about Jesus on the wing. I've seen on him at Man City, and a lot of his good stuff did come from the wide areas on the right or on the left. But I think they bought him to be a striker. The manager Arteta trusts and Ketty, I know that. But you've got to play Jesus down, down down the middle. I know Trossard was injured and Martinelli was injured as well. But you've got to play Jesus down the middle, I think. It's a big loss to them, I think. Rice getting injured, wasn't it? Obviously, <sighs> because um, you know, Jorginho came on and made the mistake when um, Madison pinched it off him uh, in, in that game. But um, I tell you, he continues to impress me so much. Every time I watch him play is um, Bukayo Saka. <sighs> Such a good player. Such a, I mean, he, he's decision-making, the way... He's funny, isn't he? You look at him and he, he doesn't sometimes look like a football. You know what I mean? He looks like, like a little a young little boy. Yeah. <laughs> but my word, can he play? It was like, I remember at the start of the season, I sort of compared him to like a Perez. He doesn't, he doesn't look like he's going to do much. And they've just got that drop of the shoulder. But it's his composure as well and having that mental strength to take the penalty. When he, when he went up, and I'm thinking to myself, please don't miss. 
Please don't miss Saka. In the big games. I can't honestly say I was thinking the same. It's <laughs> <laughs> a former Spurs man. But just because of the whole thing is when he missed the penalty in, in the Euros and all the stick he got. He's bounced back since then. But though, I massively. know, but it, it keeps doing it. It keeps bouncing back. Mm. No matter what you throw at him, he deals with, with everything. And that's what I love about him. He's just improved so much. And he's a joy to watch. He seems like such a nice person as well. You always want the nice people to do well. So I was buzzing for him. That is absolutely the case. Um, I'll tell you who else caught my eye in, in the game. The two players uh, for Tottenham. Um, one of them didn't really get much of a look in under a Conte, uh, Bissouma, who we all thought was terrific when he was at, at Brighton. Um, but he was, I mean, I thought early in the game, he gave it away a couple of times when Arsenal were pressing so high and they, they started the game so well. But after that, he was, he was all over them. The, the, the thing is about Bissouma is Madison, because Madison's come and started so well, a lot of people are forgetting what Basuma has, has done this season. He's probably been their best, most consistent player this season. From, from the first game, I remember we was doing match of the day and we was like, wow, the first couple of weeks of match of the day, he's, it's a completely new player. The player that we all thought he would be. And then we don't know how was he going to fit into the system and then have Saar alongside him. And he's been able to defend. He's been able to tack. But it's not only that, it's his composure and his awareness around him. Because how many times do you say midfielders, oh, they made a good tackle or they've done a step over and played a through ball. But it's his awareness on the pitch, when to get on the ball, when to release it. That has been the most impressive thing for me watching uh, Bissouma this season. It, it's funny, isn't it, with with players, and um, I think we've all had experiences of it. When you need a manager to trust in you, and and the difference a new manager can make um, when you don't perhaps get on with the previous incumbent, and it's like he's got a new lease of life, isn't it? Because under Conte and that style of playing really deep and hitting on the counter attack um, didn't seem to suit him. Although you would perhaps think it would, but he didn't seem to have the trust of Conte. Whereas Postecoglou's coming, and you know, obviously. You know, he's made him one of his main players. You know what? The, it, mine was the complete opposite to that, you know, Gary. Mancini was absolute tough love. He used to call me out left, right and centre. But I performed the best on Pellegrini. What a gentleman he was. And I couldn't get my best football out of him as well. So it was, it, it was strange, but... Maybe maybe you should look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I set you up for that one, Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You knock it across a six-yard box, I'll tap it in. <laughs> but I understand what you mean. Sometimes mm. we all just need a, a hug. And I said when we when we first started doing this podcast is Joe Hart had Postacoglu at Celtic and he told me all about him. He said, this is exactly what he would do. He might concede a lot of goals, but he'd play entertainment football. And if he gets the players that he wants, there'll be challenges. And the good thing that no one's talking about just yet Spurs have got no European football, have they? So they're playing that one game a week. Who knows where they could finish this season? Yeah, I don't think any of us um, had them anywhere near the top four as a, at the start of the season. But I think you would if you ask you now. You'd, you'd, you'd think they've got a real chance, particularly with Manchester United um, struggling to a degree. Chelsea really struggling, as we saw. They lost again today. And what's happened, I think, with Spurs, they've, they've got the, suddenly they've got their recruitment right, haven't they, as well? I mean, Van de Ven, I thought, was outstanding again alongside Romero. 
I think Van der Ven, unless someone comes with a big tag who's done it in a league where they've been the star player, we can be a little bit critical of their targets and what what they're bringing to Spurs. But he sort of come under the radar a little bit. No one really giving him a time of day. There's so many players who come in and don't really fulfil their potential, but he's come and to play like that in the derby is just fantastic. I think he's only 21, 22, if I remember. Yeah, he's, he's 22. I think it cost about 50 million euros that were from Wolfsburg. Yeah, that was it, Wolfsburg. And I think sometimes we can be a little bit snobby if they don't come for massive, massive money, have not been the best player in that league and not everyone's talked about. But you talk about, yes, it costs a lot of money, but I'd not seen too much of him, if I'm being totally honest. Mm, and neither had I. That's the good thing about getting the recruitment right. And that is the good thing about what Spurs are doing now, getting them little gems that no one else is really going for. Now, Spurs and Arsenal both playing well, but um, Chelsea... Another another oh. defeat at home. Um, well, well done, Aston Villa. A terrific victory for them, uh, of course, uh, away from home. But they, they can't score a goal. They spent over a billion quid. I don't know what's happening with Chelsea now. I mean, when I, when I saw them at the start of the season, I was so positive about them. They were doing all the right things. You have a positive manager who wants to play really good football. They brought in... Nicholas Jackson, who I, after watching him in pre-season and the work that he puts in, his link-up play, Sterling looked like he was back to his best, but they just don't score enough goals. All possession, they look, they're like a, they're like a fizzy drink at the moment, Chelsea. They're, <laughs> they're literally like, look like they're going to be amazing. It look, tastes amazing at the start and then just fizzles out. Yeah, it goes flat. It just goes flat. <laughs> and to spend a billion quid and not have an out-and-out -out striker, and I'll give him a little bit of leeway because Nkuku was supposed to be that. He was well, they supposed have had to injuries. Be they have had injuries. They have had injuries, so we give him that. But still with what they have on the pitch now, they should be doing a lot more. Than, Two wins than and 11 have. goals in their last 14 home matches. The thing is, if you watch them from a tactical point of view, not yeah. just the scores, because I think sometimes as pundits, we can get a little bit carried away. We look at results and just be like, this team's rubbish. They're not rubbish. They're playing some really good football. They are controlling games at times. And when they find that striker, they will be fine. It's just... How long is it going to take before a striker puts the ball in the net? Mm. It, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because what they had now, they had um, Potter last season. Um, Frank Lampard came in as well. Um, now you've got a, a manager that's that's been around the block. He's, uh, he's proven, but they've all struggled to find the answer. And it's like we were talking about Manchester United, wasn't it? Um, last week when... Perhaps when a club is in a little bit of turmoil and they're bringing lots of players in and lots of players are going out, um, it filters down onto the field. And it, is it just a confidence thing? Because there's a lot of ability in that squad. I would always try to protect the players because if there's something going on above which is not quite right, it can filter through into the dressing room. But this is on the players. If it's go through that many managers and all these players are getting the chances, 
it, it, it's got to be the players. There's no way you can blame anyone else now. And it's not like they've, they've had the money spent on the team. They've tried attacking football. They've tried defensive football. They've tried a little bit of both. But in all honesty, they've not been able to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's what it's come down to. So there's no more. I don't blame Pochettino by any... Well, it's way too early to judge that. Well, it is, but it's just the fact that he's come to this club and he, he probably didn't think he was going to have to deal with this. The player's confidence is shot, isn't it? Yeah, and, and he'll, be got... he'll be worried, won't he? Because, you know, he's, he's come in and you would, you know, you'd think new lease of life. They've got lots of players moved out, made spent a load of money again. And and it's, you know, you watched them last season and every every single game, there were like lots of changes and no, different formations and they, they don't seem to have a way of playing and a style. Is Does he need to just, right, this is the way I'm going to play and then, you know, work out which players go in position. But it, it, it takes time, doesn't it? To work out your best team, particularly when you've got so many young new players, I should say. It does. Um, and, and I think you're right. But in all honesty, I believe if they had a striker who was full of confidence, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Like I said, they're doing all of the right things. I mean, they're having to deal with what the strikers are offering at this moment in time. I don't think... Nicholas Jackson is a bad player. I just think he's going through a bad bit of form and the injuries that they've had and the players who they can bring in are not making a difference. And that's the thing I feel sorry for the manager at because imagine thinking, you're coming to a new club, we're all excited and this is what you're getting. It's, yeah, it, it must be tough for him. They're in a rut. They just need a probably need a couple of wins. Couple of wins. A couple of goals and, and, and life can change. Um, the one team that are consistent, <laughs> it's hard to see how anyone's going to beat them. Manchester City yesterday, even even with ten men, they you know they were pretty superior in in, in that particular match. They're just becoming r ridiculous. They're just like a machine now, aren't they? They're all injuries. We mentioned that you know last time on the pod, but they just find a way to get it done. Um, it's not even finding a way. They're just pummel teams. But the, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> There's no real weakness within the team, you know. That that's I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, they go down to to ten men. Am I even worried that they're gonna draw the game or lose the game? I'm not worried because it, they'll, they'll probably still have more possession with ten men, and that's just a credit to the players and a credit to Pep as well. Well, the f the first goal they scored was was extraordinary, wasn't it? I think they had forty six passes, and then that brilliant bit of play with the Rodri pass and Kyle Walker knocked it back, and Foden kind of volleyed it into the to the bottom corner. I mean, if anything summed up the way they played, it was that particular goal. That exactly it. That epitomised what they're about. But in the interview afterwards, Foden actually said he likes playing off the right. Which was news to me. I think he just said that wherever he plays, I think he, he said that's the position. <laughs> just to try and keep Pep sweet, I would imagine. I think, that, I think <laughs> that's the, the case, isn't it? Because I think I heard him earlier in the season when he played in the middle saying, oh, this is where I like to play. That's, that's what I thought as well. Like, I thought I was going crazy. I was like, yeah. I'm sure he wants to play the middle. And every time I, I've spoke to him, he said he loves down the middle. But I think he means... If he plays off the right, it can still have an effect in the middle as long as he's got the license to to come inside. Sometimes when he's played on the left-hand side, they want him to stay really wide for the width and 
he's out the game. So mm. yeah, I mean the Rodri red card is is it was a uh, it was a surprise for Starks. He always seems into in such control. He lost his rag a little bit, obviously. And Gibbs White went down quite easily. But having said that, he gave the opportunity to the referee to give him a red card, and um, he'll miss three games now. And of course, one of those games is Arsenal. So. <sighs> I mean... It doesn't seem to matter, though. They've got plenty of people to come in. But he is obviously a pivotal part of of that team. And he was absolutely brilliant in the first half. Excellent. He was absolutely excellent. But you know when you said it probably won't matter, I think the Arsenal game is a game where it will matter. Um, Mm. Rice came off, didn't he? So we don't know what's happening there. But Rodri needs to be in there. Uh, Kovacic as well, still sort of touch and go. And then Phillips, who's not played a lot of football. Well, this, so. could be, this could be Calvin Phillips' opportunity, shouldn't it? Well, I, well, I hope he, I hope he takes it. I, I really... Rodri's going to come in the team no matter what. They yeah. might play the double pivot if, if uh, Phillips gets a good um, run of form now. But to see a player... I'm obviously a, a local Leeds lad and I've, I've watched him play at Leeds many times before... I want him to succeed so much, but he's got to take it now. This is his chance. You're right. You have to feel for him a bit, isn't he? He's hardly he's hardly had a look in. Um, and it was interesting when he went on yesterday and, and Pep put him on and Pop like really gave him a hug as like, right, this is your opportunity. <laughs> you, you know, you've got to take it. And he, he did fine. Yeah, but sometimes when you, you know, when you get your chance, you, you overthink things a little bit, don't you? You get a little bit too excited. Let's just hope he's got a cool head. He plays his normal game and enjoys his football. That's the most thing. But I did want to ask you though, have you, have you had any of them alter, altercations, you know, that Rodri Me? had where someone's made a meal of it or? <laughs> no, I was cowardly on the pitch. <laughs> I never even got a yellow card. Never tackled anyone in my life. But you hold on. You never got a yellow card in your in your life. No. Not even this. So as she was getting older, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Even as even as she was getting towards the end, what what's what's she thinking behind it? Did you just not get involved in anything? Don't tackle. No. No. It was nothing like that. You got to remember when I played, you 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 had to commit grievous bodily harm to. To get a yellow card, I was kicked up in up in the air, and I never retaliated because I always thought when I was getting fouled, I was doing my job, and that's part of the centre forward's job is to win free kicks from time to time and stuff like that. Oh. Um, I um, I I didn't really believe in bollocking referees. I could whinge a little bit, or I could whinge a lot actually at times, um, but no. I, in, in fact, it wasn't until probably the, the latter stages of my career that I even gave that record any any thought and and then it towards the end I was thinking in my last game maybe I should go and punch the referee and do <laughs> do something <laughs> in style but um, it was different back then I mean you couldn't do that now if I was playing that it's impossible not to get uh, um, yellow cards um I want to talk a little bit more um, about various other issues. Um, But for now, let's um, just have a little breather. And um, obviously, we're hoping to get um, Alan on as well, because he'll be in a car full of Geordies on the way back. So (laughs) Lord knows what state he'll be in. Uh, Pretty euphoric, I imagine. Um, But let's have a breather. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker and uh, Micah Richards. We're hoping that um, Alan Shearer will will join us uh, shortly. Um, It's Sunday evening. He's on his way back from uh, Sheffield United after that extraordinary uh, victory for for Newcastle by eight goals uh, to nil. Um, But I I want to talk about something um, pretty serious. It's about Southend. Um, We've had numerous stories in recent seasons of of clubs being on the precipice um, of, of going bust and and that is most certainly the case um, with Southend at the moment. There's, I think the chairman, Ron Martin, he's owned the club um, for 25 years. Um, the fans clearly want him to sell the club because I don't think he's probably got um, the money to keep them afloat. Um, but there's all sorts of complications with land ownership and possible new grounds. Um, they've had multiple court appearances over the years, uh, more winding up orders, I think about 18 than any other club. Um, the judge, he did say, would have liquidated uh, the club. Uh, club or the company at the last hearing if it hadn't been for the fans and the value of it as a community asset. The players have been uh, amazing. They've not been paid on occasions. Um, and some staff went without pay uh, for months. Um, they've had all sorts of problems. And um, it's, it's really worrying to see that because football in communities, in towns, in cities is such an important thing, isn't it, Micah? It's massive. And it, it's so disheartening to, to, to hear that. As as a young person, and especially as a young boy, I was always talked about as what do you want? What do you want to do when you get older? And it was always play football. So you'd always go or gravitate towards your local club, and you would do whatever it takes to keep that local club afloat. So a local club to me at the time was Farsley Celtic, and we did everything in our, our power as a community to keep that afloat. Then when you go a bit bigger, you go to Leeds United. Then I went to Oldham Athletic as a kid and I had kept all these values from such a young age. And that's all we thought about. And that's what we were taught. And it was always about having a club that you could connect to and enjoy and have that community feel. So when you have owners coming and just taking over these clubs without that feel this is always going to be what was going to happen and this is why Gary Neville talks about it so much about this fit and proper test and independent regulator and all these things because of it's getting clubs in positions like this where they have no say and that's what we don't want. That's right. The fans have they've had demonstrations obviously they got a 10 point um, docking and they're right at the bottom 
um, of the league. Um, it's, it's, it's desperate times. It, it reminds me of um, a situation at, at Leicester City. Um, I think it was either 2000 or 2001 when they were in a very um, similar predicament and uh, the money had all run out and it went into administration. And I was actually involved in um, with a, a lot of people. Um, it was my agent, John Holmes, um, who's been my agent since I was 18, still is. A massive Leicester fan. And um, the two of us, um, with the help of one or two other people, um, got together, um, probably got about, I don't know, 20 or 30 people to put in money. Either They were either fans or a few wealthy friends of ours. Um, and we managed to, to save the club, but it was such a battle and so important. Um, but the one thing I can say is that, you know, we weren't in a position where we could have um, invested funds to buy players and stuff like that. So eventually um, the, the club was taken by somebody else. Um, I mean, basically we did, it was almost like a charitable donation, what everybody did for the club, which was was really important. And then, if, then of course, 15 years later, who would have thought they, they, they won the Premier League? Now, for a club like Southend, um, it would be lovely if there was, you know, someone came in, a fitter, proper person, um, saved the club and, and the fans got um, what they wanted. And and hopefully, hopefully the current owner will, will try and do his best for the football club and the local community. It's just sad, isn't it? I mean, it, that, it's just, it's it's hard. I mean, fair play to you for doing that as well, Gary. I, di- I didn't see, I didn't see you as a litter picker. Can- <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was so important though. I mean, I, I grew up in Leicester. It was my, you know, it's the team that I, I played for them for eight years. I've supported them all my life. And uh, um, it would have been a tragedy for a club like Leicester City to go under and and it would be the same for for South End because it, it it does mean that much and when when football's so awash with so much money you just wonder how you know that sort of thing can happen and and perhaps there's a way that you know f- football itself can can help clubs when when they're in financial peril it would be good if it could mm. it really would it needs okay, to, well, let's it needs hope, to happen. Let's hope something gets done on that front. Um, did you see the Barcelona? I was watching the Barcelona game. Um, they were 2 0 down with, um, I think, nine minutes to go uh, at home and, and, and managed to uh, to win 3 2. And um, Cancelo played an important part of that. And I, I thought it was it's an interesting one because we're all, weren't we? We're all thinking, what a player Cancelo is when he was at. At Manchester City, and um, and Pep being Pep, he had a little bit. Well, he wasn't happy. Oh, off you go then. And it was on loan at Bayern Munich. Uh, didn't quite happen for him there, but he's he's made a really good start at Barcelona. It, it's so strange, isn't it? I mean, when he when he left, I think he left in the in the January time, didn't he? Mm. And we was all, yeah. well, what, what is what is going he on? He doesn't here? care, Pep, does he? If he you're not just, happy, off you go. And then you've got Ake, <laughs> and then you've got. A kanji, and then he sold Zinchenko. So I think he, he's got no left back. I know he had Gomez at left back, but he was not really in contention. Then he said, "Okay, we'll go three at the back, or we'll play Ake uh, left of the three, and we'll go when we we'll go to a four. Ake, it's just astonishing what he can he can do. But Cancelo has always been a top player, even when he was in uh, in Italy at, at Juventus." What he was doing there in terms of on the ball. There's always been a question mark defensively, but on the ball going forward had been perfect. And then what does he do? He ends up scores uh, the winner. And I, I think when I was watching the celebrations, I think he's sort of kissing the badge as well. You know, he's gone for the, the badge kiss, Gary. Well, if so you're going to kiss a badge, you could, if you're going to kiss a badge, 
but it's funny though isn't it when you when you're a football i think i've talked about this before but when you're when you're actually a, a player and and fans sometimes go oh, he's kissing the badge but he doesn't really care about the club i i, I don't believe that because it's funny i played for obviously watch leicester as a kid grew up managed to get into the first team played about eight years and, and and then had to leave and it was really difficult leaving my hometown club but you know i wanted to you know try and challenge um for trophies and and, and things like that but it was it was tough leaving um and then in all honesty when i went i went to everton um and within i don't know within a few days you, you become the only thing that matters to you is that particular club. And automatically, you know, you don't like Liverpool very much. And then I went to Barcelona and um, and I played there. I didn't like Real Madrid. And, and you really care about that club you're playing in. It was the same when I went to Spurs. And then you don't like Arsenal for, for you know, that sort of rivalry and, uh, and stuff. So I always defend players when they do that badge kissing thing because I think genuinely, genuinely, they do really care about the club they are at at the time. Have you, was that your experience in your in your career, or were the clubs that you didn't like that much? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I would I would kiss uh, the the Man City badge definitely, but I wouldn't be going to kiss uh, the Fiorentina badge not because I didn't love them. It's just the fact of like I was there on loan. And I was at Man City from 14 till 27. So that's a little bit different, but- It's different if you're on loan, I think. Probably, yeah, yeah, when I was on yeah. loan. I, and then I went to Villa and yeah, I, I, to be fair, if I was at Villa for a longer time, I, I, I might have kissed the, the Villa badge, but I, I, it was, I had a torrid time, so no. <laughs> <laughs> right, I believe, I believe a certain Alan Shearer is on the line from the back of a car. Alan, what a day for Newcastle. Two, two, black, white, or me. Two, two, <laughs> black, white, or me. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure, Alan, I saw you in the away end um, without a shirt on. Was that you? <laughs> no, no, my tits weren't that big, guys. No problem. <laughs> um, 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 it, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? It's unbelievable. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I have to say I've been lucky enough to play it here, Neil, but I've never been there and saw one in, um, in the flesh. I mean, eight, eight different scorers, never been done before in the Premier League. A brilliant atmosphere. So it was just great to be there with me and my mates and just being as a fan for once. And getting a bit of grief because we, we were in a pal's box in the um, in the Sheffield United end. So I was getting a little bit of grief off the Sheffield United fans when I was stood up clapping when we scored. I bet they went a bit quiet in the latter stages, though. I, I mean, I just, I actually felt for, for Sheffield United and their, their, their fans a little bit. To, to see your team do that at home is pretty demoralising, isn't it? Well, I don't know what it was, but they kept, the fans kept doing that to me. I thought they were saying 2-2, two, two, but I was kept saying it was 8-0, you fucking idiots. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, not much empathy from Alan then. I have to say, the, uh, the Sheffield United fans were amazing because... If that was me and my team, I'd have left long before the full-time whistle. But there were thousands of them stayed there cheering the uh, cheering the fans on. So well done to all the fans that stayed there because that was a tough afternoon for the Sheffield United fans. Mm, it, it certainly was. Um, who impressed you most uh, for Newcastle? I think Anthony Gordon was superb. Uh, Sean Longstaff was superb. I think they all were. I mean, you can't have a result like that without every single player playing well. And... You know, we were just sitting down. I'm in the car now with um, with my pals going back to uh, going back to Newcastle, and we were just saying on the way down that we Newcastle haven't really played that well this season yet, other than the second 45 minutes of the Aston Villa game. But 
that today from start to finish was just magnificent from every single player. Um, Sheffield and I were really poor and I, 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 said, I said to one of the guys sat next to me, he's here on my, yeah, on my left now, I said, after two or three minutes, I said, if we don't win this game today, then yeah, it's going to be a long season for us after what happened last year. But they more than won it, they dominated from start to finish and it could have been and maybe should have been more. It's probably the first time that, that, that questions were perhaps being asked of um, Eddie Howe, wasn't it, at the start of the season? They didn't, you know, having been so brilliant last season and getting into the top four and then to lose three on the bounce. But he's really got them um, back playing like they were and it's been a terrific week. Yeah, because before today, we were, we were a few of us saying, where's the energy gone from the team, you know, because we sort of pressed and we worked hard and we dominated teams and we went after teams and we looked so much fitter than teams last season. We probably haven't quite seen that yet this season, but today was the first time we saw it. Yeah, and I just, I just had the feeling from the very first minute that they were up for it. And you know, you know what it's like. It's really tough after coming back from, especially an away European game like Newcastle had. So to come back and put in a performance like that, get that result, score that many goals, it was, uh, it was superb. So, um, no, I mean, yeah, it, such is the expectation now because of. What happened last season at Newcastle and us finishing fourth and getting to a cup final then? Yeah, I mean, when you don't get results and you were beaten, you're beaten three times in the first few games, then that's that's what it is now. That's the the, 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 the monster that Newcastle United is now. So, um, yeah, I think you have to accept that when, you, when you're being beaten. But I, I, I never thought he was under any pressure, Eddie. He's, he's got no, plenty no, in the yet. bank because of what he achieved last season. Uh, absolutely. Um, you look at the the, the bottom three, um, the, the three promoted clubs um, from last season, they've got one point apiece. Um, does that show you the gulf perhaps between the Premier League and the Championship is, is, is growing? Having said that, of course, last season was, I think, the second time that all three promoted clubs actually stayed in the league. We all know, don't we, Micah, that there's a gulf in class. I mean, even I think even more so this season than we've seen for a long time. Um, and I get that all three teams want to play football, want to play out from the back, um, take risks. That's the game of football that we, we're, we're watching now, is that even even the teams that are coming up have to play that way. But I have to say sometimes I'm not sure that's the, the reward for doing that because there's a lot of the time they're getting punished in doing it. I just think with with Luton, Luton didn't expect to be here right now. So you can understand them being a little bit not up to the mark right now because they come through the playoffs and next minute they're in the Premier League, you know. Burnley, like I've been saying, I've been singing their praises all season and it's not happened. Last game though, the last game against Man United, I thought they were very good. Collio show was good. I could see the, the the movements. I could see him what they was trying to do. I just think they miss a striker. I I do. I really believe that the they just miss a striker. Well, he, he was suspended, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He, he was suspended. But I think they need more. I think they need more than that if they want to because Burnley. They didn't need a sort of a recognised striker last year. I think all their their play came from the width. 
and they would get in areas and it'd just be a tap-in. The striker didn't have to be their main person. I think Lyle Foster, the fact he got a red card in the previous game and he was out was a, was a real blow for them. If, if you watch Burnley, how they played in the championship, it all come from the width. They had some amazing players and obviously Teller had had to go back and now he's left and all that sort of stuff. But I just don't think they've adapted to what the Premier League needs right now. Not yet. But uh, Vincent sounded confident once again that he'll turn things around. And I, I suspect he might. I mean, the last time all three promoted clubs got relegated was 25 years ago, 1998. That was Barnsley, Bolton and Crystal Palace. Can you see that possibly happening, Alan? Yeah, I could. I could do, yeah. I mean, we've watched them closely and I'm always reluctant to... We have to give an opinion, but a, a, a firm opinion uh, until we're probably in and around double figures games. But at the, at the minute, I've not seen anywhere near enough. I've seen plenty of fight and spirit and, and effort from all three teams, but nowhere near enough of quality to, to stay in the Premier League. So they're going to have to improve a lot. Yeah, they certainly are. Um, I watched the Luton game yesterday and, um, well... Um, what did you make? What did you make of the decision for for their penalty, um, Alan? I, you know, the the PGMO they're, they're still saying that um, they're trying to stick with the decision because his hand was up in the air, but it seemed pretty farcical to me. You know, we're we're, we're always going to argue on on handball decisions because of the handball law, because the handball law is such a fucking it is it is hopeless. Honestly, it's because they've tied themselves up in knots trying to get perfection. You're never going to get perfection with any law. You're always going to have a difference of opinion. So, no, I mean, how on earth can could that? I know what the law says, but the law is the law is awful because how on earth can they be given handball when it's hit someone's leg and deflected off their leg and then up onto their hand, which, yes, is in an unnatural position. Yes, is which is high. I get all that and understand all that. But when it's hit someone's leg first, it's going nowhere near his hand until it hits his leg. So how on earth can that be deemed as handball? I know what the law says, but the law's shit. Yeah, but the, the, the law also gives them opportunities to get out in that certain situation. There are mitigating circumstances, not in the laws, but certainly in the guidelines. And they had the opportunity there because common sense should prevail. I mean, he smashed it at him from about a yard away. It's hit his leg and gone up to his arm. And now also, when you're trying to block, it's automatic that your hands will sort of go. I mean, this this whole thing about unnatural position, unless you're actually trying to save it. I mean, what's unnatural unless the arm falls off and it ends up on the edge of the box or something? You couldn't have, you couldn't have a more natural position to go like that when a ball's no. been pinged at you from two or three yeah. yards. That is, yeah. that is so natural for anyone, anyone to do that. So... I mean, it's 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 IFAB that we're making these laws of, of the game or trying to get around them. And the handball law is such a mess. They, was, they have changed it so many times over the years that it's a complete and utter farce. I, I would not disagree. Micah? <laughs> I, I think Alan's wrapped it up perfectly and summed it up exactly right. I, you know what it is, Gary? I'm sick to death of talking about it. It's almost like we're giving them airtime. We're making them the stars of the show. How about they just do their job and do it correctly? It's as simple as that. I don't think it is that simple because it's a very difficult job refereeing. But the very fact that VAR is there, it should be to protect them against making howlers. But 
every now and again things are subjective and and, and they'll they'll still get it wrong in the referee's defense guys they only are trying to apply the law and the law that's the problem yep, the law it's the that. law is a complete mess that when when they're talking about natural and unnatural and and, and, and it, I mean, there's so many different things to it that you think it, it's, it is a complete and a farce that why can't you just say, make your own mind up for a referee, whether it hits your hand, whether it's deliberate or not. And quite clearly yesterday, that decision for Luton was not deliberate. I mean, we never used to have these. I mean, you, you'll always have the occasion of the decision, whether it's handball or anything else, that you, you know you'll you'll debate, and some people would disagree. But but we never used to get these constant things about handball. Did we ten, twenty years ago when when basically you left it to you know the referee? Did he mean it? Was it deliberate handball? Was it going to stop? You know, it, it shouldn't be as complicated as it is, should it really? But um, before we before we depart. Um, I saw Harry Kane got his first hat-trick for Bayern Munich, um, Alan. It must make you think every time he bangs the goals in, you'll be thinking, oh, I'm glad it wasn't in the Premier League. I can't, I can't believe it's taken him so long to get one. Can you? I know. It was five games or something. Uh, he's got, I think he's made a better start to the season uh, than he, Gerd Muller did, who held the record. Wow. Well, it's, no, it's no surprise, is it, though? It's no surprise. What a player. Okay, um, I want to finish this week with, with, as we do, with the moments of of the week or the weekend. Um, I know I'm a little bit biased, but I'm going to go with um, Jamie Vardy. Did you see he scored a penalty for for Leicester? It was one um, nil, top of the championship. It's so much fun in the championship, I must say. Um, and he, he scored the goal. And he's obviously getting a bit of stick from the Bristol fans. I think I think about his wife as as, as every game that I've ever been to at Leicester, he does from the opposing fans. And um, he ran a little bit like remember Adebayor. Um, it, <laughs> he ran the whole length of the pitch and, and, and gave it to the Bristol City <laughs> travelling supporters. <laughs> classic, classic Vardy. You <laughs> shouldn't be allowed to do that though. There's, I don't think there's any harm in that, you know, because you get so much stick off away fans um, and so much abuse. You get called so many names, and then why can't? Why shouldn't you be allowed to do that? What he did. So I say, well done him. More of it. Bit of banter, really, Micah. Great, great banter. We don't mind a bit of shithousery from now and not every now and then, do we? No, every now and then. I love that from. Give the a first. bit back. Yeah. Did you have a few drinks at the game? Uh, only about six pints of Guinness, Gary. That's all. Yeah. That, I thought you'd livened <laughs> up a little bit. But I, <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, and um, I, I suppose it's one of the more enjoyable trips home from a football match that um, that, that you've had. It's been it's been a great day and many more to come, I hope, fingers crossed. Thank you. Many more pints of Guinness to come, that's that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um that is um it from us uh, for this particular episode. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And it's a very, very goodbye from me. <laughs> I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy, and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.